This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Looking to maximize your ROI and reach high intent customers? PerformCB is the user acquisition partner you need. As a top-rated growth partner with leading brands, PerformCB provides no-spend limits, minimum buys or hidden fees, tactical media execution and management from industry experts, premium added inventory across 26 channels on a pay-for-performance model, and exclusive AI technology and reporting to optimize campaign performance. Visit performcb.com contact today to learn how the team can help you spend your ad dollars more efficiently. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics, and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or other podcast platforms where you can find us, I strongly encourage you to do that. Once you subscribe, you will be getting these episodes on your device as soon as it's available. In this episode, we have Eric Futaran, co-founder at Embrace. Eric, welcome to the BSFS podcast. Hey, Art. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm looking forward to chatting. Great. Thank you for coming. All right. Um, as always on the show, I'm setting up the stage at the beginning, and I'm going to do it right now again. So user experience. The term has become so widespread and significant for business because we all use so many products and services. And if you think about it, your interaction with those products and services can make your day or ruin it. Our smartphones and mobile apps have become our live companions. And chances are your first thought in the morning can be about your experience with a mobile game the previous evening or watching something cool on Netflix, or chatting with ChatGPT4 on the OpenAI app and going philosophical about something. And if those apps work flawlessly, you had a great user experience. If they were buggy, you know what it feels like. In this episode, Eric will tell us about common technical issues apps have, the evolution of user expectations for app experiences over the years, unique challenges for mobile product and engineering teams, and more. But first, Eric, let's kick off the conversation uh, with talking about you. Tell us about yourself and your background in tech. Yeah, I I love how you introed. I, uh, I, I think of it a lot, like mobiles become intertwined with who we are. And that's definitely my background. Like the last 13 years now, I've been all mobile. Um, but like, yeah, it, in the morning, whether I love it or not, first thing I do is look at my phone. The alarm goes exactly. off. And then I try to resist checking my email or my text messages or playing a game or or whatever. Uh, and then the last thing I do when I go to bed at night, I read a book. <laughs> it's on a mobile device, uh, generally my phone, but even a Kindle, right? There's a lot of different types of mobile devices, but they are our world. Uh, and so I've made my bet career-wise for, the la- for whatever, the last 12 or so years, 13, I guess, uh, on mobile. And to be honest, it's been a great bet. Um, so... Uh, 13, I guess in 2011, I helped start one of the largest game companies in the world, Scopely. I co-founded Scopely and was the originator of their core business model that, uh, built the games we know and love today. And many people are not familiar with Scopely as a name, but last year it was acquired. Uh, and you can look up the number, I too modest to say, but, uh, what I learned at Scopely by building kind of the games like Yahtzee, uh, originating games like uh, Walking Dead, uh, Star Trek, the businesses that ben- eventually generated Monopoly Go, the number one game in the world, as well as Scrabble and other games. Um, I learned mobile firsthand in the pains of it. Uh, and so in some ways I was lucky. And coming out of that, a bunch of stuff was built, including Embrace. And so Embrace, in some ways, is my uh, fortunate, six, fortunate kind of first throws and pains from Scopely to help every other business, not just games, but uh, actually mostly non-games to some extent at the beginning, uh, but helping companies like the Hiltons of the Worlds, the Medtronics, uh, the Goats, the Cameos, uh, and hundreds of others kind of get to mobile, understand it, and build the best experiences for all 
of us possible. And one of the reasons I loved your intro is we all have pains. Like it sucks. As oh, yeah. user. So I built this business partially selfishly. Like it's fun to talk to the folks that are trying to get into mobile uh, or become mobile first, like the global 2000 that basically has had to switch like Hilton, Hyatt, Marriott, who are all customers because COVID they had to switch to a touchless experience. Uh, and, but it's also kind of just fun to talk mobile. Like it's who we are. So it's selfish. Like I get to build better experiences for myself because mm -hmm. I'm frustrated all the time. Like I won't tell you which hotel I stayed at the last couple of days, but my hotel key, when I walked up to the door, didn't work and through my phone and it should have, and they definitely got uh feedback and I'm sure they're already solving it, which I can't say for, for every company out there, they have that, even that feedback loop. So it's been First fun. Yeah, well, one of those moments. Now, uh, tell me about Embrace. Um, you know, there is this big landscape of uh, analytical tools for apps. Yeah. Some of those tools help uh, developers and marketers to assess the performance of their apps on the market, ranking, how much traffic they're driving. Others help people to see what's going on, this interaction between their users and apps or roadblocks in a communication, something in their interface wasn't great, you know, needs to be fixed. In this whole landscape, where does uh, Embrace fit? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, there are, we primarily think about when we build mobile apps, and I'm going to talk more than just apps on your phone, but like point of sale systems, and we're in baby cameras, like anything that's connected to a device, like a watch, or Taco Bell, we're in the drive-through point of sale system, which is awesome. Uh, just never think of it as an Android device, but everything is mobile. Yeah. Um, for Embrace, I mean, the typical tools, taking a step back, that those companies think about are marketing analytics, to your point, like uh, attribution tools, ad tech, uh, product analytics would be the next level, like the amplitudes and the mix panels and homegrown. And there's a ton of startups now in that space as well. And then you keep going down the stack uh, to, at the end of the day, you're in like DevOps land with the new relics of the world, uh, the Firebases, the Crashalytics, which are trying to help uh, both the DevOps teams, but also the engineers kind of understand when things break down uh, and how to improve them. I'd say Embrace in some ways is across many of those. Our goal is the end user. Like if we think about that as the core kind of from a technical perspective, index, we want to make sure that each of us has the best user experience because every device is a user. And so to do that, uh, we have to solve a pain that I had, and I still, at Scopely, when I was building games, but I still believe is true today for most for almost every other company. Uh, the originators, like the Scopely's of the world, have had to build things, but for all the other companies, they can't. And so that's the idea of, can I just look up a user and see what happened? Because I had, to your point, we had New Relic, we had a logging tool, uh, we had Crashlytics and Firebase back in the day, we had our own product analytics because high volume games, so we couldn't use an amplitude or a mixed panel. We had Lean Plum, which is now part of Optimizely. We had, we had so much stuff, like I could just keep listing them and when I had an issue, like when I was building my own games, like a Yahtzee, and it was like a frozen startup, I couldn't literally find myself in any of those tools. And if I could, because people are going to say, hey, I can look myself up in, a, in an amplitude. Yeah, but you don't get all the data from all the other tools. It's not centralized because no one's thinking mobile first. Like it needs to be near real time. It needs to be very individualized. And it can't be just a generic collection of logs or events. It needs to be you need something better. So long story short is Embrace is built for that. It's how do we connect to the business KPIs of the company? And we're going to talk, I'm sure, a lot about that because that's kind of heart, the heart of this product and where the evolution of all these have gone. And how do we how do we connect that to kind of all the way down to the engineering teams, whether it's your uh, front-end mobile teams or Unity teams or whatever, even web to some extent, and then all the way down to your DevOps team. They all need to talk the same language. They all need to be focused on how to build a better business. And that means building better experience. So where do we really fit in that stack? We, we work for the engineers, which I found is the real gap. Um, but the byproduct is helping product and marketing and all of those because they want to build, they want to buy, 
users, higher quality users with less money, they want to build better features. Uh, they need a more stable experience and they want to use their own apps and be proud of them. Yeah, of course. That's the common goal for all of them. Now, what are the most uh, common issues that your customers are able to solve with Embrace? So what do you guys are helping them to fight with and resolve? Yeah, I think the the key in one of my pains was literally that startup issue, like to make it real. Um, like when you open an app and it takes too long and you have to close it, which we all experience, that sucks. Yeah. And what was interesting is that feedback loop doesn't exist uh, or didn't before uh, Embrace, but also some other products out there. Um, unless you set a log or something explicit, which you can't do for everything on mobile, otherwise you'd be like a genius and never have to use any tools. Um, mm -hmm. You can talk more about that. You're you're blind and your team is blind. And then you're trying to be really reactive. And what happens is, and going back to the KPIs, is eventually all these users get pissed off. They leave, they purchase less. Uh, they can't use your point of sale system at the time. And then somebody at your store is like sitting there like a coffee shop. I think about that instance a lot. You have a really bad internet connection, really poor device, and a user that's generally not technical. And they're all sitting there trying to figure out how to just make a simple purchase. And but once upon a time, it was a cash register and you just took the cash or our credit card hooked up to a telephone line. Now it's not. It's a mobile device. It's a tablet. And when it breaks, it ideas better experience and the expectations of all of us, it should be perfect because it is a better experience, but then it has so much more complexity and it breaks. So the problems we solve are kind of across the board and that we connect that to user impact. So a problem could be like an app not responsive, like an A&R which is a freeze for those not familiar with that concept. Google watches it like a hawk or crashes um, mm -hmm. or network calls, which a lot of companies think about as like the primary index. They, DevOps teams think APIs, network calls, when do they break? The funny thing in, and the thing you should ask your teams is when that network call breaks, like it doesn't necessarily affect the user. Like what's great about mobile but also makes it hard is it's compiled code running. Like you can, the best apps run disconnected, like on airplane mode or with low Wi-Fi or competing for that throughput on that your device, which is not that big. Yeah. Uh, like think about 4G and 5G and where we were a couple of years ago at 2G and 3G, most of the world is still in that 2G, 3G. We're not all in the US. And even then it often sucks. Um, and so they're competing for those things. The network calls may not be the issue, but we focus on it. Or crashes may not be the issue. Just your users use that word for some reason as their vernacular. So we help a team figure out when the user experience breaks down. Like it could slow down. It could require optimization. Like a purchase flow needs to be better. Or a freeze. Or your Google Play ranking is dropping. Or they're threatened. One of our customers actually got threatened recently. Uh, a voice to chat app which is, has millions of users got threatened recently that their app would be pulled by Google uh, because they were below or above the threshold that you would see in the Google Play console. Um, we help with all those things. And then we help you prioritize. Like it's based on the user impact. So it, you shouldn't be guessing where your KPIs will best be affected. Your engineer shouldn't be wondering whether they're working on the highest priority items or just going down a list and not caring. Uh, which is most tools, like just a list of issues, let's just bang them out without any effect to your improvement of purchase flow or your churn or your revenue, your LTV. We help connect it to the actual what's happening in your app so you can be more proactive. Does that make sense? I rambled a bit there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I'm just uh, thinking about your uh, point of uh, not every area is covered with 4G, let alone 5G. You still have this big pockets of the age connection, which, you know, my old joke that age meant uh, you're getting to the age when you yeah. have that slow connection, your your nervous system is going to break down because you're waiting so much uh, for anything to happen in your phone. And that's why it was, the name was age. Um, <laughs> but uh, jokes aside, uh, the whole planet is not covered by Starlink yet. We no. have a lot of places where the connection can be shaky um, and, you know, not that great, to put it mildly. So, Even yeah. In, I mean, They're you're in Canada. Yeah, in Canada, you have lots of spaces there, <laughs> literally. Oh, yeah. uh, but in uh, U yeah. U.S., the middle of our country isn't fully covered. Um, 
I'm with you or it's really poorly covered. Or I like to think of it this way. Like I have an iPhone or a pixel right now. Uh, but like, let's say I have an iPhone cause most of the U S does. Um, and we'll talk about that too, I'm sure. But the, uh, but when it gets old, I hand it to my kid or my parent. And so the devices never really retire. Like the phone companies, I mean, the AT&T's of the world and stuff, they actually want to get rid of your old phones, partially to lock you in, but partially because it actually helps them. But they, they're going everywhere. Or when you get rid of your device and they buy from you, they're selling it to another person or into another country. And like you go to other areas of the world, the devices are pretty crappy. Uh, it's very myopic in North America. Um, and so, yep, as a app company and like your business of apps is to support all these people and it gets harder and harder and more complex, like every day. It's kind of frustrating. I purposely yeah. have these devices on my desk, like an old Moto X so I can play with it and see what, <laughs> what breaks on it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I uh, totally see your point that the uh, scope of different devices on the market continues to grow. Uh, you have so many configurations uh, and uh, you still have to support those folks who are not lucky to have, you know, Pixel 8 or iPhone 15 Pro or something. And you still have to provide them reliable service and uh, keep them on board. Um, just, um, yeah, this is part of your market. They, these people may not be able to buy a new phone, but they are perfect customer for you to continue to pay your uh, the fee for your subscription app or something, a game they're playing. Now, and and on yep. the other side, the apps never really go away. It's a paradigm shift for mobile. It's subtle, uh, and conceptually, it's obvious. But most companies don't realize this. Like you release an app, it's always exists. It's not the web. There's no force upgrades. Uh, it's not like ser like server generated uh, JavaScript that then displays on your your browser or like packets. It's literally compiled code that's been installed. In some ways, uh, for those folks that are my age, it's like desktop software. Like you're install the user installs it, and they get to decide in some ways when it gets updated. So like releases become really hard. Like when you release a bug, you're now living with it probably forever for a portion of your user base. When you release a new version of your app, it kind of has to be backwards compatible. Like you don't want to lose percentages of your users overnight without realizing it. That's how you kill an app really quickly. Like of course. All the mechanics, all the business KPIs go haywire, and then you can't spend even on UA sometimes when you're, you're fighting for them so hard to make them stick with you because you're going to spend like five, seven times more to find new folks as opposed to retaining the ones you already have. So keep them happy, keep them on board. That's your priority. Yes. Now, as someone having more than a decade of experience in enterprise SaaS, at tech startups, um, how do you think app user expectations for app experiences, things like quality, speed, interactivity have changed over the years? Yeah, we briefly talked about it. I mean, we're all... Marketers aren't just after impressions or clicks. They want efficient, pay-for-result strategies that convert their ideal audience into loyal users. Interperform CB, your key to outcome-based user acquisition. Their AI-powered media buying engine and patent and technology targets media ideal audience and promotes their brand on high-value placements at the perfect moment, ensuring an optimal user experience. Their team, with over 600 years of collective experience, prioritize marketers' key metrics, consistently refining their approach based on their value signals and down-funnel events. If you're looking to maximize your ROI and reach high-intent customers, PerformCB is the user acquisition partner you need. Visit performcb.com slash contact today. It, we're all experiencing it individually. Like it's kind of insane that our expectations of user just because of social media, like the amount of stimulus in our world, like we expect everything to be instantaneous or near instantaneous. It's only going to increase like the, the use cases that are coming. Like we shouldn't have keys to our car. Like they should unlock from our phone. If it doesn't work, Talk about frustration. Like it should be, it's assumed it will work. Or like we walk up to our door to our, our, like our home with groceries in our hands, like the door should open. 
Like you shouldn't have oh, keys yeah. to your house. Um, so expectations are only increasing. And it's like, it's because our, our tension spans are shorter. Our, the use cases are becoming almost too important to us. Like if your watch stopped working and you're monitoring your health, like there's zero live, like zero uh, broken, like whatever you want to say, like your expectations for those are assumed that they'll always work hundred percent beyond, which is not true for the web. Like if it freezes, you kind of just reload your browser or yeah. for an app which is on your desktop, you're frustrated. You reload it. And you know, on your phone, it's not true. Uh, or your watch or your car, which is an Android device for many companies now too. Um, so it, it's interesting because uh, how do you, correlate that to the complexity because we just talked about it like devices the apps the things you're running in your apps like sdks like ad tech they're only becoming more complicated and then the amount of devices the amount of places you have to support the amount of internet connections like because it's a device it's literally moving like it's not something sitting on your desktop like the complexity is growing exponentially simultaneously so it's a tough it's a it's a really tough problem. Like, how do you, as a, like I empathize with all the companies out there that have to solve this problem. I'm almost happy that I'm not developing apps directly and helping all these companies because it's a never ending problem at this point. And you're, and the switching costs are near zero too. Like, cause my hotel stopped working for my key. I'm literally thinking about like next trip, I'm going to go to a different hotel chain because I want it to work. Uh, zero, zero stickiness. Now, when there was a lot of stickiness before. Yeah, absolutely. Like we're not inventing a new technology just for the sake of getting something fancy and funny. It should be better to replacing the original one. Otherwise, I'm just going to stick with my keys. They're never being buggy. You, will you, you don't need to reload your key in your hand. It's just going to work. Yes. So if if your app on the phone doesn't work as reliable or so should be reliable as a key. Otherwise you always have this anxiety. Why, why the hell am I relying on my phone? We're going to just uh, pull up my key. The same goes for every tech. If it doesn't deliver better experience, what's the point? Yeah, I've got a great one for you. Uh, touch surgery <laughs> or Medtronic, uh, which is a customer of ours. So I'm pretty proud of it. It's a little scary, but it's awesome that it works. But I mean, it's remote surgery the uh, or education for surgeons, like the zero tolerance, like you has, has to work. It's all mobile. Like everything is starting to become remote. Um, and so it's, it's insane. Or like we're, and I never would have expected some use cases like oil and gas. So people in the field, uh, so EOG is a customer and there are people are literally walking around trying to take pictures of oil rigs for breaking broken things and liability. But if it doesn't work, like they're one going to be really liable because that those pictures have to work. But two, it's literally a person sitting there. That's an employee getting frustrated, not doing work. Like it's just not a great situation, but now you have no choice, but to support them because that's how the world works or drivers. Lots of companies have drivers sitting on apps. They would be more than happy as a full-time employee to sit around with the app not working and blame the app. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this thing, uh, you know, generational shift. Think about it. Uh, we just celebrated last year 15 years of the App Store and Google Play. They were launched yeah. like a few months apart in both in 2008. So people right now who get their phones when they're, I don't know, 10, 15, they're like 30 years old. This is, you know, um, uh, Gen Z, like or transitioning from Gen Z to millennials. A, they perceive the internet, the e-commerce, everything mobile. So they don't like, you don't have this excuse of, a, you know, browser experience of reloading a website. And they may do, like, they may still continue the browser, of course, uh, on their desktop, but they rely on their mobile phones. And yeah. this is where things should work without quote unquote reloading, right? Uh, we're seeing that. And it's kind of crazy that some companies are still contemplating this, but I'm with you. Like web is still growing because our usage of com compute devices is growing and our time in front of screens, unfortunately, is growing as well for COVID and a variety of reasons. But if web is like this, mobile is like this. 
Yeah. It's still web is still bigger than mobile, but web's been around for since like the late nineties. Um, and mobile has been around since, I mean, it basically 2011, but really 2013 ish. So 10 years. Uh, so in the grand scheme of things, like it's in the middle innings of a baseball game. So like, it's pretty insane. And I'm with you, the generational shift, like how often do they use a device while you're watching TV? Like I do it. Uh, I'm trying to get my kids not to do it, but, but as soon as I give them a phone, they're going to hundred percent be doing it. Exactly. And in fact, I think it's part of the reason some of the content providers like the apples are so invested because it's like how people will be consuming all media on it'll be on these devices or maybe an apple vision pro which is also a mobile device yeah. <laughs> under the hood, uh which is insane yeah i guess the jury is still out on that device but we'll see <laughs> soon now uh moving along what are the unique challenges for mobile product and engineering teams to diagnose and resolve issues that uh, user encounters in apps yeah, so we kind of talked about the variability, so I won't get into that. I think I've hit that like a uh, <laughs> like a too much for the audience, but I do want to make sure it's practical. Like we're talking about complex environments, number of devices, the variability that's literally moving, the types of devices are another pivot on that. Uh, release cycles are hard; they're longer; they're not instantaneous. We can get into that if you want. I think at the end of the day, we're still using old school tools like the new relics of the world and the data dogs uh, or uh, even the amplitudes and those who are all trying to evolve and they're built for the wrong use cases. Like they're uh, to get technical, they're kind of agent based, at least the new relics and the data dogs, which means they're just there to sit and collect known things like a crash or an error log or maybe a trace, which is like a time span, but they're not helping you put it together and solve it. They're just seeing if those hit a certain number and then they're throwing an alert, which is really reactive. It's too late on mobile. Your users are gone. And then because of release cycles, you're waiting week, two weeks to a month sometimes because you both have to get the code out. You both have to try to reproduce it. And then you're trying to get an approval cycle from Apple or Google, which is getting faster, but it's not perfect. But you're still waiting. And like even a week is too long. For a lot of these issues, even the smaller ones that you seemingly don't think that are a big issue, but they compile. Um, and so the pain is getting all these pieces to work together, but also getting your teams to talk a common language. Um, and so like DevOps seeing an issue might say, hey, it's an API call and go point at your engineering team. Uh, a CEO or product person, I love this. I call it the call. Like I, we're all sitting here using our own apps. Uh, so I'm like using uh, a Yahtzee and it's a great app, uh, probably the, the cleanest of all the Scopely ones, kudos to the team. Um, and it's sitting there and you're having an issue as a product manager and then you're going, what, what do I do? Like, or CEO for one of our customers is sitting there complaining to his team that it, they're sitting on their phone in an airport and it's not working. Um, the app, and I won't call out the app because that would be mean, but the, uh, but the team itself is sitting there. What do I do? Like, is it my own code? Is it an SD, third-party SDK? Like, ad-based company, ad monetization-based companies like media or games or, or otherwise, they love to point to the ad vendors. Uh, it could be the user. It could be a UX issue. It's really hard to pinpoint. And so what's hard is because no one is collecting all that data in one place. And so for that use case, I mean, the, the CEO is on low power mode in an airport. Like, the issue was that the connection sucked and they didn't think about the use case for low power mode. And then it becomes a feature question, not an issue, even though all the engineers and DevOps and product are probably hair on fire because everybody stops when the CEO complains, but it could be, it's his fault. Like, do you want to actually support low power mode or not? How often do your users stick in that mode? What devices is it really affecting users on? Like an airport has really crappy connectivity. Do you want to, do you care? The user may come back. And so they, the issue is like the teams aren't talking together, prioritizing these issues based on real revenue impact or LTV or churn, whether the user will come back, like many users will endure issues. Um, and so the, the difficulty is collecting the data in the first place, getting it all in one place, 
making sure you could literally look up a user, see what happened instantaneously. So you can instantly identify the issue, looking, finding leading indicators. So you're not even having to look up an issue. So you can be proactive and then connecting that to the actual work efforts and making sure teams aren't finger pointing at each other. So it's a lot there. Uh, so there are a lot of unique challenges <laughs> to mobile that I don't think exist uh, in other areas for a variety of reasons. Um, and your teams are, I promise you, can work better or are struggling with these issues or or, or worse or apathetic, which I found yeah. would happen. Like the only engineer, you can only go to the desk so many times with an issue where they're like, I don't really know if I can solve it or how long it will take or what the business impact is. So go away. <laughs> and eventually you can't come to them without evidence. Right. Uh, yeah. Speaking of lower power mode, uh, my closest case study would be my wife that she's been using her iPhone in lower power mode all the time because she loves to preserve the battery and she's okay with those extra features that are turned on, tur sorry, turn off uh, in this mode. She's completely okay, but you have to take, take into account these people who are using this mode all the time. They may, you know, prefer to be in this mode as opposed to, you know, dragging a power bank with them for uh, just you know getting an extension for their battery yeah this is this is their use case yeah it's only recent i think uh low power mode existed for a while especially on android but the automatic switch at like yeah. some percentage it's really the last two years and now in the last like year and change i don't know the dates but it's around there at least it became part of the zeitgeist it goes went from like low power mode to like ultra i forgot the term like low power or it turns into like I'm going to start turning off apps to preserve your battery, like 5%-ish. Uh, in Android, I think it's 5%. And yeah, so now it's like an automatic use case. Like how often do your users hit that? It depends on your app. Like if you're in all trails, it probably happens a lot. Like you're offline, you're on a trail, you're not bringing in a battery. You have to support it. And then the app doesn't necessarily stop running when it's put in the background, when you run another app. In low power right. mode might shut you down in the background. So your app now doesn't work as expected. What are you supposed to, like, how do you diagnose that as a product manager or engineer or DevOps? Like DevOps will see that as a bunch of alerts on network calls when that app comes back online. Um, doesn't mean it was a problem, the app's still working. But yeah, I'm with you. It's like, it's almost become, it's become more complicated because the device manufacturers know that that's a use case they have to support for their users to adopt their devices. So it's a really, it's interesting. Yeah, I my my phone's always in low power mode because I'm traveling. Like 20% yeah. ish just automatically goes. At five percent, I've turned off that feature because I don't want like my Uber to stop working when it's in the background or uh, my hotel key to stop exactly. working. But uh but I don't think every most people don't turn it off. So then you've got to support it if your user base does that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of app categories and verticals, uh, we just touched on a few specific apps. So, uh, what app categories and verticals have the biggest problems with app quality and user complaints? What are these games, social? Yeah. I mean, it's easy for me to say everybody, <laughs> uh, they all have app quality issues and user complaints. They just come in different forms. I, I don't think the biggest are games and social primarily because they've been around the longest and kind of learned the mistakes. I mean, that's part of the reason I'm sitting here. You've, they've had to mature uh, through probably even harder times when the tools and picks and shovels didn't exist. Like I think of like the gold rush, like mm -hmm. the, the people who made the money were the people who sold the picks and shovels and the gold miners had to figure out how to work before the picks and shovels showed up. Uh, and so that's really hard. And then they have to be very inventive or build their own, like go out and build a pick or a shovel. Um, so they tend to be the most mature. I would say the caveat to that is the competition is also the most intense, like as maturity, like there are more, more, well, social, not necessarily more, but the switching costs are very low. Uh, and when they do hit like a TikTok, like Facebook definitely feels it. Um, and so the competition becomes more intense for games, hundred percent. So you still are focused on issues and quality because that 0.1% matters in that case, that could be the difference between getting another buck on your CPI 
to acquire a user and not. And that could be the difference between you being competitive against a similar game or not. For other companies who are younger than 10 years, I would say, uh, at least in mobile, I mean, or for companies that are been around forever, but haven't had an app, let's say in the last 10, 15 years, like they've had to become mobile first. So they're learning these problems, ideally with better tools. It's not about maybe 0.1%, but it's still about 0.5 or 1% improvements. They add up and they become incremental. And then you build a really good business. Um, And so it's trying to catch up with that expectations of games and social. And so it's complicated and hard. And you don't necessarily have the history of knowing all these issues and building these apps for very long. And you don't necessarily have the skill sets. Like a lot of companies are switching from their their developers from web to mobile. It's a different paradigm. They're learning on the fly and feeling a lot of pressure. I can't tell you how many times I talk to teams where the web folks try to apply the same principles and you just don't know to catch that. Um, And so I think the app quality and complaints maybe felt most acutely in the newer companies or the companies shifting to mobile because they've had to, who uh, have teams that are built for web or for backend uh, processes, releases, uh, product management uh, expectations like the web where it's instantaneous release, lots of things. Those all turn into app quality and user complaints. Uh, and then you start seeing them and then your users start complaining about crashes or your ANRs are too high for the Google Play Store or Apple to future, refuses to feature you or your ranking drops um, because you don't know why, because they're completely opaque. Like So long story short, everybody's got these problems, but they become differently acute depending on the competitive dynamics and obviously user expectations and then the underlying your underlying ability to even like solve and report, identify and track these issues. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it did. It totally makes sense. Yeah. I I would think people who were working with web for so many years, they, they've like, uh, they have a setup, um, mindset, uh, they, for expectations, it's really hard for them to switch to mobile where the feedback is faster. If you have a problem with the app, the you know the bad reviews will just follow pretty quickly, and you you will have a backlash pretty fast, and your ranking will go down, and it will impact your downloads, your revenue, and etc. So I mean, it's, yeah, really- it's two worlds. They they have to adjust and quickly, otherwise they will just be left behind. Yeah, it's real. I mean, it's hard. To your point, like the user acquisition gets affected. Your marketing. Like everything does because browser is search-based, like you either bookmark it or you find it, it opens. Yeah. Uh, mobile, like finding such stuff is, discoverability is really hard. It's not natural. That's why we all struggle with it. It's really hard to acquire users. Uh, and then you literally have to get them to install something on your the device, which is a big ask in the grand scheme. And then you have to get them to keep pressing that button to turn it back on, <laughs> which is a world of different things. Uh, lots of tricks for that. I think, uh, and then you have the, I, I can't hit it hard enough because I know it's important to the audience. Like you have web teams that are transforming or mobile engineers that have their choices or try to use Flutter or progressive web apps or whatever. And there's use cases for them, but it's not true. Like true mobile, like you need to make your experiences feel native. People know. Um and then on the DevOps side, this is what observability was supposed to solve. Like the term observability, if people are familiar, is kind of a hot topic. And all the companies are in some ways vendors, but also companies adopting these vendors are thinking observability. So the new relics, the data dogs, the Grafanas, the Cribbles, even on the security side, they all using security observability or AI side, there's AI discoverability. It's about collecting the data and making use of it effectively and trying to collect as much as possible. In DevOps land, it's really important. Like they think in terms of collecting, I've mentioned the terms and for those not familiar, there's metrics, logs, traces, and arguably events. And I'm not gonna go into depth there, but it doesn't work. Like it's not about trying to collect those four things in mobile, which is how DevOps thinks. It's about piecing them together and making sure you can look up a user and see what happened and then aggregate that information so that you know the impact. I'm just repeating, but that's the truth. DevOps doesn't think that way. They think 
how do I prevent a fire drill? How do I save my ass? Like, how do yeah. I, which is not a problem. Like SLAs are important, but they don't necessarily directly tie to your business goals. They're just how you keep the lights on. And so like DevOps teams using these tools is not a good, good, uh, it's, they should be part of the decisioning process because they need the same data sets, but their use cases are different. Um, and so I think that's a challenge for this problem as well. Like they're not thinking end user, they're thinking containers and APIs and services and backend apps. And that's very separate from the mobile experience. They're obviously intertwined and that's why I'm bringing it up. But like front end client side engineer needs to think like, how does that API support me? Does it work? Uh, do, do I care? Does yeah. the third party SDK API when it breaks, most of them do. Does it, am I tolerant to it? Like, do I really care if an ad SDK stops showing an ad? Like you should arguably be yelling at them, but also be building in something that lets you detect it uh, or using tools that let you do it or make you tolerant to it. Got you. Now, Eric, uh, looking at the mobile tech space today and having a, uh multiple years under your belt in the industry, what would you like to change about it the most? Um, it's a great question. I was struggling with this one. There are a lot of things I want to change, but the the one I came up with was, I for some reason, mobile is really opaque and it's been really frustrating to me. And I know to almost every mobile company, like ad SDKs, definitely break and people feel like they just need to turn them on and off, which affects revenue and generally waste time. And then you end up adding them later because it affects too much revenue, but you're not making an informed choice. Like, is it a certain ad? Is it even that problem? But it's opaque. And it's because the ad SDKs are kind of opaque on purpose. They're not working for you and nor should they be. They're working for their businesses. They're working to make money and make sure they have demand. But Apple's opaque which I hate, uh, like they really, they're a hardware vendor with a lot of software. Uh, they'd be the first to admit it, maybe not vocally, but it's obvious. Um, and we're expected to build software on their devices and they're not give, they never give us the tools. Like, and they've even bought tools over the years and then kind of like a test flight and then buddy build and others. And they've kind of gone away. We use them, but they're not that helpful for the end goal of creating a better experience. Google, is like, I'd like to think of it as like your worst best friend. Like they're really good at pointing out all your issues and everybody's got a friend like that. They're like, why is this that way? Why do you do this? Like, oh, the, your color on your wall is ugly or whatever. They just point out all this shit. And then, uh, then they never give you a solution. Like Google obviously cares about experience. They're doing a lot of investment there. They're pointing out a lot of issues in your apps, but then they give you no tools to solve them or the tools they do give you, send you on wild goose chases. Uh, but, and then attribution, like marketing attribution is brutal. It's always been brutal. Like these companies are valuable because yeah. they're trying to piece it together. Like you install an app and you're not positive what the, uh, where it came from. Like Apple sort of helps with search ads and things like that, but uh, they don't make it easy for the brazes and the amplifiers of, of the world to figure it out. Um, cause it's partially Apple Google's fault, partially cause the attribution vendors don't necessarily want it to have perfection either. They're in the game of like trying to help you figure out your multi-touch and making money on it. <laughs> and then there's like opacity of data. Like you have competing data sets because you have all these vendors. Like I was sitting with a, a fortune 500 yesterday. He opened up at least five tools to figure out a common Gosh. MA number. Like it was crazy. It's because each tool looked at it, reported at it differently. They sampled their data. So they collected differently, which people don't realize. Like if you sample, then they have to do math to figure out what they think the MAU is, as opposed to just collecting it for every user and seeing what happened. Um, and so you have competing data and then you have teams competing. So it's all opaque. It's frustrating. So that would be what I would change. I would say, in an ideal world, which is not going to happen because there's competing interests, I'd love for it just to be open because it would just be easier for everybody on the end, on the development side. Okay, I totally hear you. This is uh, this was the first part of the show. We're transitioning to the second quick one. 
whenever I have a guest first time on the show, I um, take a chance to ask a few quick questions so people who are listening to us not only get an insight from the topic, but they get to know my guests a little bit more. So, um, what smartphone do you have now? And have you been switching? I guess you've said it's uh, Google Pixel, right? I did switch back and forth. I would, uh, for a long time, I was an iPhone. It was, made me laugh uh, when uh, I first heard that this question uh, a long time ago, and then you're bringing it up uh, because I have a story. But I used to switch back and forth just out of curiosity because I was an engineer once upon mm-hmm. a time. I'm not allowed to touch code now. So now I'm a Pixel. I have a Pixel 7. Um, but And the reason is because I use what my users use. Like the world is Android at this point. Uh, yeah. You might in the North America, Canada, US, basically, we might have iPhones, but even there, majority of users now have Android devices. So once upon a time, a long time ago at Scopely, I got so pissed that every person had an iPhone that I actually bought for Christmas, everybody a Samsung tablet. Uh, it was definitely like a Christmas vacation moment where everybody's like, look, get me a real Christmas gift <laughs> instead of the uh, the fruitcake or whatever you got. Uh, but I ever like, how do you not use what your users are using? Exactly. Uh, jumping back in time before the multi-capacity smartphones, what was your first mobile phone? The one you can put in your pocket? Oh, ah. I, I, I can't, the one, the first memorable one was, yeah, let's go with this one. Yeah. 2000. I had the matrix phone. I mean, I would matrix just had come out. So there's like a foot phone It was feature phone. Uh-huh. That's smart. Um, and it was all silver. It was okay. cool. And then it like you either it opened or you press, I'm trying to remember you press a button and it like slid out. Uh, and it was super cool, super unwieldy, the silver <laughs> with chip, <laughs> but it was, it, I felt really cool. <laughs> I was, I was young then. It didn't last very long. I think it lasted like a year, but I, I loved that phone. Yeah, it was cool anyway. Uh, getting back to present. Uh, so imagine you left your smartphone at home, you're out. What will be the most missing feature for you? I can tell you, I wouldn't miss spam. <laughs> the amount of <laughs> random phone calls I get. Um, I would say, I think the, I think one of the things that I definitely love about having phones and Google's done a very good job is photos. Like it's not a, it's something I was trying to think, like I'm trying to think about it. Like I miss a game or I miss certain core apps, but at the heart, like I think about all the photo piles of photos I have from like the nineties and two thousands when we were printing photos, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's changed. It's way cooler to have it all on your phone and have be able to take photos and remember things without worrying about it. Like, going into Google photos and searching for like my kid's name Everett and seeing every photo ever with him. It's pretty magical. Yeah, that's sweet. Now, um, any ideas, any wishes uh, for your smartphone to have um, software hardware feature that is lacking at this point, something that would make a little bit better, better uh, tool for you? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. I don't really while i'm focused on user experience and our own experiences i really don't want the phone to be any more addictive so i think a lot of answers are going to will be if some you ask this for a lot of especially game devs they'd be like how do i add this thing or how do i make people use the device more um i think android has done a really good job to try to preserve some of these interactions and apple falls kind of fast follows like the spam thing they're doing an amazing job with the spam catch and bots uh, I use it all the time. I think they've done a really good job with snooze, like automatic sleep, nighttime. Like they're developing it because for whatever reason, I don't care about their incentives, but it's actually a nice trend. Um, but I think if I had to take a step back and really answer the question outside of just the niceties and trying to be altruistic, uh, I think the promise of AI, uh, AR is the big deal. It's, it's obviously where Apple's trying to think about. Like your phone is still a hard device with the screen. You look down. Um, I'm not a big fan of VR. I don't think the promise is really there. Um, it's too enclosed. It's too 
sheltered, you're sitting at home. The promise of AR is really how do you get a phone not in your hand and in front of your visual so that you can better do work, your construction worker or surgeon, uh, you can better do learn on the job or detect issues like things like that are not that far away. Obviously, it's pie in the sky, but we're not that far. It's pretty cool. And I think those types of things, obviously, there's some negatives to it, but the positives are pretty overwhelming. I hear you. We're definitely getting there. Um, before I let you go, very, very final question. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Yeah, we're. I'm here to help. Like That's part of the reason I started this company. Like Obviously, I've built many big games, helped a lot of time, a lot of non-game apps. Like it's fun. So if you have questions or you're building a big app or thinking about how to transition to mobile or whatever, big or small, feel free to reach out. I'm just Eric, E-R-I-C at embrace.io. I, I may not be quick, but I'll definitely get back to you. But yeah, it's, it's just fun to, to help other folks. Got you. Eric, thank you so much for spending time with us and being on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. No, thank you. Thanks, Art. And that was Eric Futuron, co-founder of Embrace. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps so you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe, and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes, Spotify. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com. Marketers aren't just after impressions or clicks. They want efficient, pay-for-results strategies that convert their ideal audience into loyal users. Interperform CB, your key to outcome-based user acquisition. Their AI-powered media buying engine and patented technology targets media ideal audience and promotes their brand on high-value placements at the perfect moment, ensuring an optimal user experience. Their team With our 600 years of collective experience, prioritize marketers' key metrics, consistently refining their approach based on their value signals and down-funnel events. If you're looking to maximize your ROI and reach high-intent customers, PerformCB is the user acquisition partner you need. Visit PerformCB.com contact today.